A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Whether you're a brand, large business, small business or an individual, you need customers. And the chances are some of your potential customers are probably listening to this podcast right now. From history, when Napoleon led Boulogne for a year, politics, if that person is poor, it's a bad neighbourhood. Then you have the disproportionate police brutality, which is meted out instantly at people of colour. Culture. Had they written it so that Chris called an ambulance for hours straight away, we wouldn't have learned about the severity of alcohol withdrawal either. Well done to the writers. Thank you for making a wonderful podcast, but I'd give Rotherham a miss. Very. <laughs> <laughs> the Rotherham Tourist Board. Geekdom. The flag is a graphic symbol, not a verbal symbol. You know, why don't we just write France on the flag? I mean, we laugh when you think of putting a country's name on a flag. Society or music. Young people began to turn away from their parents' ethics and their style of dress, and they began to dance to a new type of music. Royfield Brown's podcasts are downloaded just under 100,000 times a month. So putting your message here could well be worth it. If you have something to sell or promote, why not email royfield at gmail.com and hear your product or service promoted. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Let's get Brexit done. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown, who is back in the bosom of his parents' home in Birmingham in England. One of the great differences between the country of my birth and my adopted country, the United States, is, is guns. And it's, it's something which doesn't just divide the UK from the US, but dare I say it, every other major economically developed country in the world. We look at America aghast with the amount of guns that are freely available in its society and the amount of deaths that then ensue. And it's not by accident that its police force has somewhat of a tainted reputation in some sections of American society because um, it leads first in with its encounters with many minorities gun first, so to speak. And the issue of Breonna Taylor, the woman who was shot dead in her home, and these are one of the many outcomes of a society that is awash with guns. Taylor, a 26-year-old former EMT, was shot to death back in March when police, with a no-knock warrant, entered her apartment. She was inside with her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker. He says police never announced themselves. According to the state's attorney general, officers and a civilian witness say they did. Walker thought they were intruders and fired a shot. Police responded with gunfire, killing Taylor. Of the three officers involved, only one will face charges, but not for Taylor's death. Former officer Brett Hankison charged with wanton endangerment for firing bullets into Taylor's apartment that ended up in a neighboring apartment. For the other two officers, no charges. According to Kentucky law, 
The use of force by Mattingly and Cosgrove was justified to protect themselves. There will be celebrities, influencers, and activists who having never lived in Kentucky will try to tell us how to feel, suggesting they understand the facts of this case, but they don't. Asked about the case, President Trump praised Kentucky's attorney general. Daniel Cameron is doing a fantastic job. I think he's a star. Mob justice is not justice. Justice sought by violence is not justice. I heard that. I said, write that down for me, please, because I think it's, it was a terrific statement. But for many filling the streets. Was it surprising for you? No, it's not surprising. Very rarely do black people get justice when it comes to police. In a scathing statement, attorney Ben Crump, who represents Taylor's family, writes, how ironic and typical that the only charges brought in this case were for shots fired into the apartment of a white neighbor. I'm speaking to Nico Bukar, the government affairs director at Giffords, a consultancy who basically look at gun violence and ways to prevent it. Have I got that just about right, Nico? Yes, we're a gun violence prevention organization. Um, We work to pass life-saving laws at the state and federal levels um, across the country. And we also do political work. Um, So we work to elect gun safety candidates and leaders to represent us um, at all levels, local uh, through uh, up to the presidency. And we also have a law center, which does our policy research and litigation work as well. Um, They're the premier legal experts on gun laws in the country. And we work to do everything from uh, draft legislation to help uh, ensure that uh, it's being implemented properly uh, in states across the country as well. I've got an idea as to the reason why America has ended up with um, just under 400 million guns. But why don't you explain to our British listeners, our Canadian listeners, anybody who isn't American, why America is unique in its uh, attitude towards guns? That's a really great question. Um, And it's something that we obviously paid a lot of attention to at Giffords. Um, America has the weakest gun laws uh, and the most guns um, in comparison to any other comparable nation. And I think that that is... When you look at the rates, the staggering rates of gun violence in the United States, I think the fact that we have uh, the weakest gun laws um, has really contributed to that fact. So that is one area where we are uh, primarily trying to make a difference and have an impact. You know, we have a Second Amendment here in the United States, which is also different than in other countries. And so there is an aspect of that which is great can be greatly influenced by the courts and that's something that obviously right now especially in the united states is a huge concern for us we have seen the uh, gun lobby have tremendous influence over the types of judges that the trump administration has put forward during their time in office Um, and unfortunately what extreme positions that those individuals have uh, could have an impact on our ability to pass gun safety laws that will save lives across the country. So we are dealing with a unique combination of, you know, a situation where in the United States, the public largely supports and wants stronger gun laws. And the gun lobby is using whatever tools they have at their disposal to try to basically impede the public from being able to have a say in their own safety, um, whether it's trying to work through the courts and extremist judges to making sure um, that they are putting into place lawmakers who are not going to pass gun safety laws, um, despite the overwhelming support for them. And so those are two areas that we at Giffords are really working to uh, address um, gun violence through. And uh, I think probably where we have the potential to see uh, the most progress and the most change if we're able to effectively do that, which, um, you know, considering uh, the decades of control the gun lobby has had in this country, um, we are working diligently to undo some of the damage they have done. But it takes some time, unfortunately. And, and here we are now with America being a a nation that is unfortunately a leader in gun violence. If there's a Second Amendment, American has the right to bear arms. Who are the extremists? Surely people then wanting to curb that uh, would be seen as extremists uh, looking at a strict reading of the Constitution. 
That is what some claim, but we look at someone like Justice Scalia, for example, who himself wrote that the Second Amendment is not without the ability to have any regulations on guns. I think that we have clearly you know, seen um, from the highest levels that there is uh, authority, legal authority under the Second Amendment that is not counter to the Second Amendment that we should be able to pass gun laws, reasonable gun laws, common sense gun laws. Again, laws that have the vast majority of support from uh, American citizens, also gun owners in America. Um, the majority of gun owners in America want something like universal background checks in place. That's not a policy they oppose. But we have this gun lobby that has been determined to not support any gun laws in recent years. That wasn't always their position. Actually, several decades ago, uh, the NRA even supported background checks, but they've since grown more extreme and aligned themselves much more with um, sort of the industry motivation of profits. And so you see a gun lobby that has become more and more extreme in the ways in which they oppose any type of regulation, even regulation supported by their own members. As a result, we're at this place where I think there are some people who believe that the uh, there is a, you know a very extreme interpretation of the Second Amendment, but that is not what we have seen play out um, in our courts. Um, and again, you know, Justice Scalia is, is certainly um, a, a justice that I think everyone would say is friendly to the Second Amendment, um, and and even he says it is not without any regulation. So I think that that is a message that. Um, you know, the gun lobby has has previously been effective in pushing, but that we are seeing um, more and more awareness and more and more, frankly, frustration amongst uh, Americans with uh, regards to whether or not that sort of anti-regulation principle is one that they think their leader should be following. And they don't. And that's why we're seeing gun safety rise as an election issue. Ultimately, gun safety laws and the Second Amendment are not in conflict with each other. But that is unfortunately a discussion that we continue to have to have because of the gun lobby's extremism and something that we have to be concerned about as the gun lobby continues to try to install their um, sort of most fervent supporters and um, uh, you know judges with the most extreme positions on that issue um, into place uh, in this country. What exactly does the Second Amendment of the Constitution protect? What exactly is that trying to do? That's a great question. And I wish that we had our Second Amendment legal expert here because that's not precisely my area. So I'll do the best job I can not as a legal expert. Uh, The Second Amendment is what we typically think of it as is is the right to bear arms for purposes of a a militia. You know, again, this was something that was crafted in the Constitution um, hundreds of years ago. This is not a a recent amendment that was added in. We've seen a lot of developments to um, everything from uh, within our democracy to the Constitution itself to the manufacture and sale of firearms since then. I think that what we've seen from the courts is right to bear arms for purposes of a militia is not um, specifically a right to bear arms without any regulation. Um, There are reasonable regulations that can be put in place. So, for example, with regards to background checks, somebody who has uh, been convicted of certain felonies, individuals who have active domestic violence restraining orders out against them. There are circumstances where um, firearms are restricted. uh, And that is a public safety measure, right? And we have to consider that context as well. And so when we look at, you know, whether or not uh, a policy uh, that we are advocating for is one that would meet Second Amendment uh, scrutiny, which is something that we care about at Giffords, we find ourselves in a position where we are advocating for laws that um, do meet uh, the standards that are required, um, that do provide some regulations, um, because it is not an unchecked, unregulated amendment, but that also do protect an individual's right to to bear arms for the purposes of of how courts have determined um, they should be allowed to. And we've seen that the types of laws that we at Giffords advocate for, the types of laws that unfortunately aren't in every state but are passing in more and more states um, that we're advocating for at the federal level and that's being supported by the 
general public, these are policies that in many places have been with upheld by the courts as being constitutional already. Um, and so there is, I think, a misconception that any regulation may be in conflict with the Second Amendment, and that just simply is not true. But honestly, though, you don't want to restrict the use of guns. Surely you guys want to ban them. Because I must admit, the rest of the world is just, is just quite simply saying, just ban them. Look at Canada. Canada is a, a country which has a very similar culture to the United States. It's a frontier culture, so there's, there's no excuse there. They don't have anywhere near the amount of gun deaths that uh, America has because you can't legally walk around, whether it's open carry, closed carry, with a gun in Canada. Australia, another frontier country, they had an incident some 20 years ago. They just banned guns. You guys don't really want to just tighten the regulations. It's a slippery slope. If I was a Fox News presenter, I'd be saying to you, Nico, it's just a slippery slope. A little bit of regulation here, a background check there. Fundamentally, 10 years' time after that, you're going to be talking about banning guns altogether, and our cherished Second Amendment is going to be gone. That's not true, to be simply, but um, we... Which bit? Which bit wasn't true? <laughs> we're not working to ban guns. There's a, a few different things. One is the, the Second Amendment does exist, and, and certainly we at Giffords and Giffords also, we, we have never um, denied that we work and we advocate for and we defend and explain how the laws that we advocate for do fit within the Second Amendment. The man accused of opening fire at a community greeting with Arizona Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords is set to be arraigned in federal court Monday in Phoenix. Authorities say this man, 22-year-old Jared Loeffner, killed six people, including a federal judge and a nine-year-old girl. Police say he shot 14 others, including the Congresswoman, before bystanders tackled him. Giffords, a three-term Arizona Congresswoman, was shot in the head and remains in critical condition at a Tucson hospital. Doctors say the next 48 hours will be critical in assessing the 40-year-old's long-term prognosis. I will tell you briefly that when we talk about gunshot wounds to the head, the things that are most concerning to us are if the bullet crosses from one hemisphere to the other, one side to the other, if the bullet crosses through the geometric center of the brain. And I'm happy to say that those were not the case in this instance. Outside Giffords' Tucson office Sunday night, hundreds gathered to support the politician. Many refer to simply as Gabby. We were founded by former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords. Um, and Gabby is a remarkable individual. For those who may not know, she was a congresswoman um, from Tucson, Arizona. Arizona certainly is um, a very uh, gun-friendly state um, in the United States. And she was holding one of her constituent on the corner of that uh, in 2011. Unfortunately, there was a shooting there and um, somebody had targeted that event, that constituent on the corner event, shot and um, uh, seriously injured Gabby. And that was obviously is incredibly important because Gabby is a survivor of gun violence. And that um, is part of, of why she started doing this advocacy work. But she and her husband really decided that they were going to form it, what was initially um, more of a, an action group, a political group of this organ that developed into this organization following the shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School. And that's when she said, OK, I've had enough. We need to do something about this. Gabby and her husband are both gun owners themselves hailing from Arizona. This was an area that they were anticipating earlier on in their lives, you know, becoming lead advocates for that sort of moment where they realized we have really important voices and we need to do something about this problem because it is so pervasive in the United States is really a big part of what helped change the conversation in the United States on gun violence and what types of gun policies that we should be advocating for. It really helped bring the general public in to the conversation to see that it is not the two different extremes that it had often been painted to, but actually that this is something that people every day, whether you're a gun owner yourself in Arizona or whether you're not a gun owner in uh, you know, a different state that you care about because you care about safety. You care about safety of your family and your communities. And we've taken a lot of steps at Giffords to organize uh, gun owners themselves. And so we have uh, groups of gun owners 
in Colorado and Texas and Minnesota um, who are fed up of not being represented by the gun lobby and the NRA. It's not the same NRA, for example, that their grandparents or even their parents were a part of and supported. This is a new extreme NRA and they, they are fed And up. that's the National Rifle Organization. Yeah, yeah the National Rifle uh, uh, Association, uh, which has been the leading gun lobby advocacy group in the United States uh, for several decades. Nico, uh, let, let, answer me this question, because I'm a student of American politics and American uh, society and culture. I'm no expert. I'm just a student. The NRA is an incredibly well-funded organization. It gets money from uh, gun manufacturers because it's an advocacy, advocacy group for them. And then its members pay subs as well. There's just two ways that it, that it gets its income. But also what it, what it has is an incredibly powerful lobbying arm and incredible enthusiasm for guns. And the NRA really schooled me in understanding the enthusiasm gap which can happen and can distort politics. Yes, the vast majority of Americans want there to be some level of gun control, background checks, if you're mentally ill. Maybe you shouldn't have a gun. Maybe you've got a history of domestic violence. Maybe you shouldn't, because the statistics tell you people who have history of domestic violence are more likely to have fatal incidences with guns, et cetera, et cetera. And let's say, for the sake of argument, that is 60% of all Americans. I know things are, in terms of opinion polls, are massively in your favor. But that 15% that want absolutely no checks they shout so loudly, they're so vehement for that position that there's a massive enthusiasm gap. So even though there's, let's say, 60% of Americans are like, come on, we need, this is just ridiculous. 38,000 Americans a year die at the hands of guns. And there's 15% who are saying, absolutely, we don't need no checks at all. The fact that 38,000 Americans die, it's worth it for the Second Amendment, for the fact that the tyranny of Washington could well be meted down on the, the citizens of Minnesota. So we need our guns because we never know when the government might turn. And then there's another 15% of Americans a bit apathetic about it. Surely that is what you guys need to bridge, isn't it? It's that enthusiasm gap. Yes, you're in Washington, you're doing your lobbying. And I'm sure when you're walking uh, around the Capitol building and you bump into those lobbyists from the, from the NRA, I'm, I'm sure you cut them some severe side eye or whatever. <laughs> but it's the enthusiasm of typical average Americans, isn't it? That's what you need to ignite because they're kind of with you. But for them, there are other issues that are more pressing. You're right. There has been an enthusiasm gap. Um, we are working to bridge that and we're seeing some really positive signs of that. I think there are a few things there. You're right. There are going to be some people that are um, difficult or even unmovable. That's a very small percentage of people and they've had a loud voice, unfortunately. Um, they've been able to control too much of the conversation for too long. I think there are a few things that have happened um, over the past few years. Uh, and uh, one thing I, I'll share with folks is if you look at a state like Virginia, which for those of you who might be less familiar, Virginia has in the past been um, what is many consider to be very purple state. Sometimes it goes Republican, sometimes it goes Democratic. For a long time, um, we're not uh, passing gun safety laws for a couple of decades. A few years ago, they there was an election um, in 2017, and they at the state level, and there were exit polls that showed that the second most important issue to voters after healthcare was guns. And now you, in the past, would have maybe heard that come out of Virginia and thought to yourself, oh, well, that means that that's probably that small percentage, right? Like that 10 to 15% of people who, who are the loud, passionate ones who want no regulation. Um, but that was not the case here. Virginia actually turned blue in that election. And the second most important policy area to voters was guns. This was before Parkland. 
Um, and what we started to see happening at the ballot, where people were actually making gun safety an issue at the ballot, continued to carry over. And I think what we saw following the shooting in Parkland, Florida, with young people, the next generation, rising up and saying, no, we will not live like this. We will not. We reject what uh, has come before us. We reject the gun lobby's influence. We are a new generation that is, is saying no to that. And moving forward, you're going to have to know that we are voters and we will continue to make this a priority for us um, has, has monumentally shifted that enthusiasm. And so we are seeing guns continue to be and gun safety continue to be a top issue at the polls and for voters, um, even at a time like now where, frankly, our nation is grappling with so many important issues. Um, and there are so many things that are hitting people close to home that they care about. Guns continues to be a priority. And so it is true that there are some who, and that this is part of their extremism, who um, will will continue to try to bang the loudest drum, be the least movable on the issue of gun safety on the other side of this issue. But we are seeing overwhelmingly and not only increased support for gun safety, but gun safety being the top priority for people. And it's it's everything, you know, we're seeing it in, in Virginia. It was largely the difference in that election was largely suburban women um, who perhaps, for example, were um, moved by uh, what the tragedy that took place at Sandy Hook Elementary School. Um, but we are also seeing these next generations knowing gun safety as an issue in a way that generations previously didn't as a voting issue. And I think that that is going to be uh, um, continue to be a major reckoning for the gun lobby um, and their extremism that that. Uh, future generations of voters are not going to go to those extremes um, with them anymore. Right, I'm, I'm going to ask a question which I, was, which I was thinking about when you were giving your answer. There's 38,000 Americans that die each year at the hands of guns. And I presume about half of that figure is going to be suicides or accidental death. I mean, it's not all violent crime, shall we say. I know you don't subscribe to this, but why is it that, let's say, your average American who doesn't believe in any restrictions on gun ownerships, why would they argue that that figure is acceptable? I mean, I think it's shameful that we would think that figure is acceptable. Um, and so but, but that is tacitly the position of the NRA. Certainly, isn't yeah. It? I think that they've created this um, or perpetuated this inevitability myth. And it is a myth, right? That if somebody is um, thinking of uh, considering suicide of taking their, their own life, um, that that individual, that there's nothing you can do to stop them. And that is not true. Research has shown that if that is not true. There is a reason that there's such a, an important connection between access to guns by individuals who are um, a risk, at risk of suicide and uh, suicide attempts that prove fatal. And that is because guns are fatal. They are designed to kill. That is the function of, of the machine that is a gun. And so when somebody who is at risk of suicide um, attempts, uh, uses a gun um, as their method, that is the vast majority of the time going to be fatal. Whereas if they use another method, it is significantly less likely to be fatal. And in many of those instances, individuals are able to get the help that they need and then go on to live lives without fulfilling what the gun lobby puts forward is that inevitability of them killing themselves. So access and means matters. Access to guns by individuals who are known to be a risk of suicide is a serious problem. And there are policies that we advocate for um, that have been shown to help prevent that. And unfortunately, the gun lobby to your point, continues to oppose them because they've determined that um, saving lives is not their priority. And I think that that is shameful. And I think that that is why the public is turning against them, because there isn't a way to explain or defend that beyond recognizing that the gun lobby in taking those extreme positions and opposing those types of reasonable re regulations is ultimately choosing 
profit over people. That to me is the only explanation for why they would oppose policies that um, have been proven to, to save lives in those circumstances like this. How racially motivated is the modern NRA? And I say this because if I remember the case of Philando Castile, who was pulled over by a police officer whilst driving his car and he explained to the police officer whilst he, the police officer was talking to him, he says, I have a gun. And that was in the, what state was that in? Can you remember? Ohio? Uh, I, I apologize. I, um... Well, it was in a state where he could legally have this gun. It, it was legally a gun, gun owner. And he said to the policeman, I'm just letting you know that I have a, a gun in the car. And he ended up by being shot and his partner videoed his dying moments. The NRA were not there advocating for the Second Amendment rights, were they? They absolutely no. weren't. It's hard not to think that this is the modern NRA. We're not talking about the historical one, of which you said was a very different organization. It's hard not to see that this is almost a symbol of white identitarianism. And this is exclusive to all Americans mm -hmm. having their constitutional right to bear arms. That's right. I think we are seeing that the gun lobby is not who they used to be, both in terms of actually having the interests of gun owners and wanting to work with gun owners, wanting to focus on safety and training and um, the general principles of, of safety around gun ownership in the same way that many people remember from, from their childhood. But a big part of that is when they began to make this pivot into extremism, they started embracing other areas of extremism, right? And then that unfortunately often goes hand in hand. You will see a rise of hate and extremism go hand in hand. And we are seeing that unfortunately in the United States. It goes to show that the motivations of the gun lobby, even when they claim that the reason they oppose gun safety laws is based on principles related to safety and, and the Second Amendment, however misconstrued their interpretations are, that's actually not true because they are not showing up and defending the right for Philando Castile, for example, to carry a firearm even when he has a concealed carry permit. They are not. And yet they are out in front when you see extreme armed protesters showing up and threatening and intimidating people on streets, or when you see a couple in St. Louis brandishing their weapons and pointing them at peaceful protesters. Um, the gun lobby is consistently speaking out on the side of hate and extremism and the use and proliferation of firearms, a, a major concern and something that we are seeing reverberate throughout. I think we have to understand that there is so much more we need to do to save lives from gun violence. And it is by um, addressing hate and extremism and the relationship between hate and guns, not only through the fact that the NRA continues to perpetuate really harmful policies, in addition to opposing policies, for example, they are the sort of architects behind those, frankly, racist and incredibly dangerous um, stand your ground policies, for example, um, which disproportionately impact, obviously. People of color. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Well, that was my high school sweetheart. Her boyfriend, 28-year-old Marquise McLaughlin, was shot and killed by this man, who says he fired his gun in self-defense. What do we want? Justice! What do we want it The shooting has lit up the streets. The confrontation between the two men turned into a shooting. Stand your ground, Testing the stand-your-ground law. And poured gas on the fiery debate over controversial stand-your-ground laws. It's around 3.30, so you know that's a busy time, people getting off of work. Jacobs says she and her boyfriend needed something at the convenience store Thursday afternoon. The store's security cameras were recording it all. I'm going with the first parking space around this time, which was a handicapped parking spot. My man, Marquise, gets out, and my son, Marquise Jr., get out, and they go in the store. I'm sitting in the car with a three-year-old and a four-month-old. After about 20 minutes, she says she sees a silver Jeep pull around, and then this man, Michael Draca, steps out and walks around her car. You know, I'm feeling scared around this time because I don't know this man. He goes to the front of my car. He's saying that I'm parked in a handicapped spot, which I'm clearly very aware of. They start exchanging words. It gets angry. This man is now yelling at me and telling me to move my effing car. Marquise comes out, pushes the man and telling him to get away from his girl. Marquise steps back. The man he just pushed pulls a gun from his pocket, and in a flash, he pulls the trigger. Her boyfriend stumbles back into the store. Their five-year-old son is watching his father die. Marquise McLaughlin is pronounced dead at the hospital. She says what happened the next day blew her mind. The Pinellas County Sheriff's Department announced that it was not charging or arresting Michael Draca. Under these circumstances, we cannot make an arrest. Police say that he was standing his ground. The law on stand your ground is clear, and the Florida legislature has spoken on this. Tell us about those laws. What what exactly is stand your ground for people that don't know? And then maybe then segue as to how the different states interpret the Second Amendment in, in different ways. And then tell us which is the safest state. I'm, I'm a Brit, so end up by saying what's the safest state for me to be wandering around and not to get shot. Okay. Um, standard ground laws, and, and honestly, I, I think that you could really call them shoot first laws um, as opposed to standard ground laws are laws uh, that originated um, largely uh, through the gun lobby. The premise of the law, more broadly speaking, is this idea that uh, somebody should not have to retreat if facing a threat, that they should be able to use their firearm um, in response to that threat uh, and do so whether or not essentially there's an option to retreat. This is a principle that in many um, circumstances exists. Uh, It's more known as the Castle Doctrine and has been in place in states across the country related to whether or not somebody, for example, should have to flee their own home. Should an intruder break in, for example? Should you have to flee your home before using something, um, using a weapon in self-protection? So hence the Castle Doctrine, protecting your castle. And us Brits can completely understand that because there's an expression, every Englishman's home is, is his castle. But it was that stand your ground doctrine in Florida, mm-hmm. which ended up with Trayvon Martin, not only killed by George Zimmerman, but George Zimmerman getting away with it, isn't it? Because George Zimmerman argued that he was standing his ground because Trayvon Martin attacked him, even though he'd been trailing him and threatening exactly. him. And that's what the gun lobby did. They created um, a, a frankly perverse version of this policy um, and passed it uh, in Florida and, and now unfortunately are working to pass it in other states as well, um, which they call senior ground. Really what it is is a shoot first policy, which says even if you're not in your own home, even if you're in a public space, that if you so much as in some cases perceive a threat or say you perceived a threat, 
that you're allowed to essentially shoot first. And that is what happens, right? That Florida's gross interpretation, uh, application of the law allowed, uh, George Zimmerman to say that he felt threatened. He didn't even have to demonstrate that he was in, that there was in fact any threat in a public place where there was an option for him to retreat if he had felt threatened. And instead he pursued and shot and killed Trayvon Murphy. And this is, I think, that obviously is a very well-known example, but the sad reality is, is that that policy is being passed in other states or there are the gun lobbies working to try to pass it in other states as well. And we're seeing it have disproportionate impacts. It is the statistics have borne out that it is largely being used as a defense by a white defendant when they've shot a person of color and are claiming that they felt at risk. And then we know that there is one famous example of a woman, um, a black woman, who used uh, a stand your ground as a defense, and uh, they did not accept that as her defense. And so it's being, again, that intersection between um, the gun lobby and the way the policies that they both oppose and support are impacting, in particular, black and brown men and women across the country, is despicable. It is, I think, something that needs to be addressed much more seriously and something that we are working to do at Giffords Law Center. We recently issued a report on standard ground laws and uh, their racist history um, that includes examples of some states that have policies that even include the ability to use your firearm if somebody is, if you're inside your home and you see somebody breaking into your car. So you don't even know that they are going to come anywhere near you. The idea that a car is worth more than a human life, that property in a car is worth more than human life, I think is just truly despicable and a standard that the gun lobby should be ashamed to have and to be modeling the policies they advocate over. Unfortunately, we do have some lawmakers and legislators who continue to push those policies at the behest of the gun lobby in states across the country. But we are seeing the gun lobby be defeated um, at levels that they are not used to, that they have not been in the past. And so more states are passing gun safety laws in Sparkland. Well over 200 gun safety laws have been passed in states across the country. And we're continuing to take that fight to um, all corners of the U.S. And we do have a number of states that have really strong laws. So some of the states that I know you asked where, where you could go that uh, are states that have uh, some of the strongest laws, which, by the way, the, some of the states with the strongest laws also have the lowest per capita gun death rate. So we are seeing a relationship, a very clear relationship between strong gun laws and gun, and safety from gun violence. And a lot of those states are states like broadly speaking, a California, a New Jersey, Massachusetts. Um, you might be thinking, well, those states do have some gun violence in them. And, and that is true, though, at a, at, when you look at the per capita gun death rate, it is lower than in other states. There is some gun violence, but you also have to remember that we have not seen federal action in the United States and on gun safety. And we do need federal laws because there are going to be states, neighboring states to states that want to pass and have passed strong gun laws that continue to have weak or pretty much non-existent gun laws. You know, individuals are able to traffic guns into California, for example, from a neighboring state or New Jersey. You know, there's a corridor, a major highway in, in the United States that goes from Florida up through a lot of those southern states. It's through Virginia, which does now have gun safety laws, but for several years did not and goes into New Jersey. And even neighboring Pennsylvania has weaker gun laws than New Jersey. And if you look at New Jersey's gun violence, a significant portion of the guns recovered in crimes in New Jersey are coming from out of state. So New Jersey's gun laws are working, and that's why they have, for example, some of the lowest per capita gun death rates. But until we either have national action or other states also pass gun laws, we will unfortunately continue to have a gun violence problem in the United States. So you, you interestingly and optimistically said that states are pushing for gun safety laws as opposed to uh, stand your ground laws. If I was to look at a map of the United States, is this quite simply a blue-red divide? Are these those southern states that are like, eh, let's stand your ground, shoot first, ask questions later, and then it's those liberal, wishy-washy, latte-drinking states that are um, tightening things up a little? I think that 
could, if you were to look at a map, some things could look that way, right? You're going to see certain states that might be, from a political perspective, sort of that deeper red have um, fewer gun laws, and you might see states that are considered to be deeper blue have stronger gun laws. But we're seeing progress in a lot of states, um, and the conversation is certainly shifting. And I would say that it's really important to remember that it's not just a partisan divide, though, if you were to just look at colors on a map, one might think that. We're seeing, um, for example, one of the policies that's emerged, particularly post the Parkland shooting, is an extremist protective order. Um, some people may know it as red flag laws. Um, and these are basically civil protective orders that can be taken um, out um, that would temporarily remove firearms from somebody who poses a risk to themselves or others. These are incredibly effective policies that um, in the months following the Parkland shooting were passed in eight states. And in the, of those eight states where it was signed into law, Five of the governors who signed these laws in uh, to effect were Republicans. So there is bipartisan support for some of these policies. We do need to find those lawmakers who have the courage to actually take that kind of action and ensure that kind of leadership. But we are seeing even in the state, and I think um, everyone's sort of probably familiar with the relationship in Texas and guns, for example. But we are seeing um, more discussion in Texas on the issue of gun safety than we ever have in the past. And right now we are, are seeing candidates in Texas who are running for office, running on the issue of gun safety, which is really exciting. If you were to just look at colors on the map, it could you could potentially see some relationships there. This actually is not a partisan issue um, in many ways. And uh, we are seeing movement uh, across the country, particularly in um, some of those states that were traditionally known as being particularly um, gun friendly um, or, you know, strongholds for the gun lobby in the past um, coming around on this. So it looks like you guys fundamentally do have wind in your sails with, with this issue. If you've got Republican governors tightening up laws where they can around gun safety, that's definitely something which is pretty significant. The next administration is going to be a, a democratic one. What could that president do in the next four years to help the cause of greater safety around firearms in the United States? There's a reason that our organization is backed uh, Joe Biden. It's because of his gun safety platform. When Joe Biden is our next president, he will have a lot on his plate to do when it comes to gun violence. But I think we have to talk about universal background checks and the importance of that policy. It is not a one-size-fits-all policy, but it is a policy that provides sort of the bedrock, the foundation that we've seen as we've seen um, how gun safety laws work in states. That um, key policy that helps make sure that the gun safety laws in a state all work um, and, and work to to reduce violence. And so that is a, a top priority um, for the next president um, that Joe Biden and uh, Giffords and uh, the gun safety movement share. We also have been strong advocates for making sure that we are addressing gun violence in communities where it is most prevalent. And a lot of situations, in most situations, that's in, in our cities um, across the country. There are many reasons that for the proliferation of guns and then, then gun violence in the cities, but we've seen that in cities uh, and states that uh, have support for and invested in community violence intervention strategies, which um, can take a few different forms. Um, for uh, you know, your listeners, it, it is um, largely uh, community-based groups that will um, actually consist of uh, street interrupters, for example, individuals who will show up at the scene um, of a tense situation and defuse it, or um, providers in a hospital-based setting um, so that if somebody is shot and they're receiving treatment at a hospital, um, we know that that's critical time to intervene and, and try to provide them with the services they need so that they don't end up in a uh, cycle of violence where they are either end up back in the ER or um, in jail. And so if we're able to support programs that help with those types of um, intervention and prevention strategies, We've seen tremendous results in reducing violence, gun violence in communities. And that's 
an area that we need more um, focus on as well. And that requires uh, an investment, uh, frankly, investing in those communities and investment of funds uh, to support those programs. And where there is sustained funding, there um, are many, many lives saved. So those are two areas of importance to us um, and two areas that we would want and expect uh, the next president, Joe Biden, quickly to address gun violence. Nico Bacot, thank you for coming on to Mid-Atlantic and explaining the work of Giffords and how important uh, gun safety is and how it can really be one of the tools to bring down the shocking number of 38,000 Americans dying at the wrong end of a gun each year. Um, Just before we go, why don't you give everybody your organization's uh, web details, credentials, if they want to maybe contribute or help the organization. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you for having me and for having this important discussion. We are at Giffords. Uh, Giffords is the name of our organization. Giffords is a gun safety organization founded by former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, and we can be found at www.giffords.org, uh, G-I-F-F-O-R-D-S.org. Um, we are also on Twitter. If you are a a Twitter, you know, aficionado um, at Giffords Courage, and we are on Instagram and Facebook as well. And you can look us up there um, at, at, as Giffords, um, the organization. So thank you so much for having us, for having this discussion. Um, we hope that um, we have been able to uh, shed some light on, on some of the intricacies of gun violence in the U.S., but also provide some optimism for all the work that's being done to improve the safety and lives of, of folks here. You absolutely have uh, done a sterling job in explaining the position of the organization. And you, dear listener, just before we go, remember you can go on to midatlanticshow.com, hit the little speak pipe button, and you can uh, leave a two-minute voice note. So if you've got any thoughts and feelings about guns and gun violence within the United States, uh, why don't you leave a message there? I know that for the rest of the world, we just look aghast at America and its uh, use and the prevalence of guns. So if you are going to try and say something, say something which is a little bit more thought-provoking than the need to disband them because it's deep within the DNA of this country, the Second Amendment. And that is something which uh, the rest of the world, we do need to um, take into account when we think about America and its situation with guns. That's been me, Royfield Brown, giving you another rip-roaring, block-busting episode of Mid-Atlantic. Thank you, Nico. Thank you, Royfield. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.